Uh, we're going to go right into the, the message. Big shout out to each of our locations, Maple Grove, Elk River, Lakeville, Spring Lake Park, and those that are joining online right now. We've been in this series called Missio Dei, the mission of God, looking at the heartbeat of God that touched the earth and what he's all about. And of course, last week, Pastor Darren did such a great job talking about how the goodness of God does not have an off switch and how God is continuously wanting good things for his people. He loves people, and he's always working to reach people everywhere. And he invites us on in that assignment. He doesn't do it alone. As a matter of fact, the method of how God spreads his goodness is through us. Literally, he uses his church to share the good news with others. We looked at Matthew 28, 18, and 19 last week. It says, then Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen to that. That's known as the Great Commission or the assignment that Jesus gave to his followers. And we are meant to go on assignment. I read a stat recently that 51% of the church, people in churches, don't even know what the Great Commission is. That's amazing because it's really what Jesus told us to go and do. And I want our church to know what Jesus has called us to go and do. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's our assignment to go. Everybody say go. It's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. We need to join in bringing Jesus and his kingdom to the people all over the world. And it says to the nations. That word in the Greek literally means ethnos or people groups. It's not the borders of countries as we know it at the Olympics, but it's actually people groups within the world. And uh, I'm just grateful for how God does that. He does that in the house of God. We're called to be a house of prayer for all nations. Today, we were blessed between the services. As I went back into our pastor's uh, hub, we call it, where I, I sit down between services and get a drink of water and that kind of thing. And there on the counter was a box, a pastor's appreciation, two boxes of egg rolls from our Filipino community here at Emmanuel. And I was like, wow, you can smell it in the room. And that's a great representation. We all live in the United States, but we have many different people groups within there. And the gospel is meant to reach everyone everywhere. And when we gather together in local congregations and churches around the world, but we do it as a manual. We are called to make disciples for people to become like Jesus, not just share good news, but to help others become like Christ and to follow Jesus. And I love how that's happening all the time. We have our Wednesday nights, we have something called Kids Extreme and, and how kids are coming and inviting their friends on Wednesday night in our youth ministries and they're sharing the good news and they're inviting their friends in. And, and I love what's happening right now with our gift boxes for Thanksgiving on each of our locations and how we're, we're collecting cans and all kinds of goods that People are going to receive that and have a need this Thanksgiving. It's so exciting to see what God is doing. Kingdom Builder partners all over the world that we partner with. 
God is on the move all over the globe, and there are amazing things happening in the kingdom of God. We've got a, a kingdom builder trip from Emmanuel in Africa right now, making a difference there. We've had them all over the world this year. I've heard about one of our partners, uh, Venture, who on the eastern side of near Nepal, there's villages all over where they go in and they preach the gospel. It's not just about the proclamation and the receiving of the gospel, but it's about the whole life of the people. Because, you know, in those towns, there's one village there where uh, socioeconomic uh, realities are that they're not able to put food on the table. And the only thing that will provide a family food is when parents sell their daughters into human trafficking. And literally, it's a industry in the town. But the gospel went in there, it was preached, somebody got saved, and then they began to train those villagers how to do agriculture and, and, and make their own uh, resources for finances, and now they don't have to sell their children anymore, and that trafficking industry is going away in that village, all because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's making things better, and this is what the gospel does. And not only does it do it around the world, but right here, the gospel comes in it. It reaches marriages that are in a death spiral. The kingdom of God shows a different way to love our spouse, a, a different way to build families. And the kingdom of God comes and the gospel goes in. And where everyone else runs out, the gospel goes in. Believers who are disciple-making people go into the cities of America where crime is out of control and homeless is in the epidemic and hope is lost. And right there, you're going to see the kingdom of God working through Jesus' followers. That stuff's not going to be in the political ads of this season. Because the kingdom of God isn't getting caught up in that stuff. The kingdom of God is in the people and what God wants light going into darkness. Can I get an amen to that? In two weeks, you're going to hear from Matthew Barnett right here. He's going to share with our church. And he pastors the Dream Center in L.A., an incredible work that's making a difference there. We sent a Kingdom Builder team there this year where they're serving, and they did this throughout the pandemic. The extreme food shortage is increased homelessness, and they're feeding people and housing homeless people. And our Kingdom Builder partners are feeding thousands of people every day, hundreds of thousands of families with young children leading them to Jesus. This is something that, that the Great Commission does. When Jesus says go, it's go to make the world better, to share the good news of Jesus. In the most difficult eras of our world history, you will find that Jesus' followers were going into the world. They weren't hunkering down and hiding out. They went into the world, showing and sharing the good news of Jesus. In Mark 6 15, 15, Jesus said, go into some of the world and preach. Well, what does it say? Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Everyone. See, the church was the first to establish hospitals, the first schools, the Red Cross, orphanages, and re refugee relief centers. And wherever the gospel goes, the lives of people get better. You can focus on whatever uh, big scandal is out there, a corruption or failure of a person or organization that you've heard of, even in the church world. But let me tell you this. There is an overwhelming sense of the real church of Jesus followers who are watering the earth with the kingdom of God. Some have been killed for it. 
Others have been persecuted or jailed or despised. But you cannot stop the goodness of God in the people of God. Can I get an amen to that? See, we need to get into his mission. It's a privilege to be a part of the ongoing, relentless, unstoppable, indefatigable mission of God. It's a powerful force moving forward. And when we have that miracle offering in a couple weeks, I don't want you getting caught up in what's the money going to do and all of that. We've got our partners that are unvetted and we've got projects where the gospel needs to go in locally. We're going to make a difference in the Twin Cities. We're going to make a difference around the world. But I want you just praying and saying, Lord, what are you saying to me? Jody and I are praying. Lord, what are you saying you want to do through us? And we're going to join our faith with your faith and we're going to see a miracle where God is going to feed the multitude. Can I get an amen to that? All right, let me go right into the title of today's message. You're like, you've already been preaching, Pastor Nate. Missio Day Part 2, He's Got This. Turn to the person next to you and say, He's got it. <laughs> He's got this. When you look at your life, did you know every one of us have a mission or a purpose, a value? God puts you on the planet for purpose. When you were in your mother's womb, so was God. And he was shaping you and forming you with a mission or a purpose. And no matter what's happened to you since you were born, perhaps you've messed some things up or maybe it's something, someone did something to you. It doesn't matter what's happened. His mission does not have an expiration date. You are still a candidate to be caught up with what God has called you to be and do. But how do people lose it? How, how do they lose what they're fighting for, contending for, or their mission that they're going for? How is it that they stop running? How do believers give up and not finish the race? 2 Timothy 4, Paul says this at the end of his life. He says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have what? Finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. He made it to the end. Why would people quit? What is it that stops people from doing what Paul did, persevering and moving through? Well, some people are confused. They don't know who they are in Christ. Your gifts or your talents or your job, how do you get connected to the rest of your week to the mission of God? Let me tell you, we talk a lot about that in Growth Track. If you've never gone to Growth Track, sign up for it. Get involved with Growth Track. Some people are immature. They only think that the gospel is for them. They're into it for whatever God does for themselves. It's all about me, Jesus. Listen, when you're only thinking about yourself, the mission stops. You're meant to touch the world, to reach others. Some people go it alone. They try to do God's work without God's provision. And they try to make it happen on their own, and they, they lose it. They go off the road. Now, recently, Jody and I went to Alaska, to Fairbanks, Alaska, where I preached for a men's conference and Sunday services. And while we were there, we got in the car, and we drove a couple hours out to Denali, or Mount McKinley, and went up, and it was steep roads, epic landscape, and we're driving around, and 
And as we're driving along, you know, once in a while, my eyes would be just watching everything and I would hear this. You ever have that where you kind of drift off the road and there's a rumble strip on the side? And they remind you, you need to stay on the road. How many know it's important when you're in the mountains to stay on the road, right? Well, I think there's important rumble strips that God gives us to keep us on mission. So we don't drift away from who God has called us to be. I want to give you three essential rumble strips for staying on mission today, all right? The first one is this, trust. Trust. Everybody said trust. Proverbs 3 Verses five and six, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Trust, the definition of trust, is a firm belief in the reliability, the truth, the ability or strength of someone or something. To trust in the Lord is to believe that he's reliable, that you you can lean on him. He has the strength to back up his promises. So the writer of Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, the biblical word heart encompasses a lot more than what we might think of. It's the thoughts, the feelings, and kind of the will, the identity of who we are. It's all wrapped up in one. So listen, some people in their thought life, they're thinking about something. They might feel like they love someone, but if their thoughts are over here, the heart is in danger. Because nobody ever falls out of love. They think themselves out of love. You think about it long enough. This is why Jesus said, be careful. If you're lusting after someone that's not your spouse, and you've been thinking about it, one thing will lead to another. Enough of those thoughts, and it becomes what you feel, which becomes the condition of your heart. So the word says, trust in the Lord with those things. Some of us want to give God our eternity, but we don't want to give him our present, our thought life, those challenges and worries and concerns, even some of our temptations. But let me tell you this, if you give God access to all of your thoughts, he'll get your heart. If you hold your thoughts and reserve them for some other space, he won't get your heart. It's important to give him your thoughts and your feelings will follow right after. Don't depend, or as I memorize this scripture, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't depend on it. Lean and trust in the Lord. I love to share the story I have several times with this church about a time in our, early in our life when Jody and I had four sons and they're fairly uh, active boys and uh, always, always doing physical things, putting dents in walls. I think a head went through sheetrock once and they had a hole in the wall. Uh, very active boys. And many times, we were like frequent visitors to the urgent care and emergency room. In fact, we should have gotten like a, a frequent visitor, the fifth visit free or something out of that. And I remember one time we were out on a trip out to Michigan to visit my parents when they were living out there at that time. And uh, the adults were up at the kitchen table. Parents were talking to my mom and dad. And, and David, our oldest, was about two or three years old. And 
he was a little bit of a daredevil and he was jumping off the couch and he had taken the cushions off the couch and he was jumping from the couch to those cushions and he kept moving the cushions further and further out. Ever see a kid do this? Some of you are still kids and you're still doing these kind of things. So anyways, one time when he jumped, he miscalculated and on the way down, his forehead met the end table. And then you hear this pause. How many know when there's a pause and the scream that comes next, it's a real deep thing? There was a pause and then a blood-curdling scream. We run downstairs, the stairs into where he was at and, and I look at him and there's blood everywhere. He's got a wound on his head. Grab a towel, put it on there. And I look up at Jody, and she looks at me and she says, it's your turn to take him. <laughs> and so we, we get in the car, I get in the car, go down to the emergency room. It's an eternal wait and waiting forever. And finally, we get back into the room. The doctor comes in, looks at it, says, yeah, he's going to need stitches, but we're really shorthanded. And he said, so dad, what I'm going to need you to do, because I, I need to clean the wound out before we stitch it up. I'm going to have to put a needle in there to deaden it so I can clean it up. And when I do that, little kids have superhuman strength. He says, so I'm going to need you to hold him down. So sure enough, he gets the needle out. I hold little David down and the needle's coming for his forehead and then his eyes go to me. What are you doing to me, dad? How many know at that moment, I knew what was best for him as his father. And he wouldn't be able to know, but he had to learn to trust. At the moment, he didn't understand the circumstance, but I knew that if I held him down and he wasn't moving his head around, the, the wound would get cleaned out, the stitches would go in, and he'd have less of a permanent scar. I knew what was best for him, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and not depend on your own understanding means you won't always understand what's going on in the moment, but you have to trust in the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? So one of the most important things to keep you on that road is to stay on mission by trusting in the Lord. Retain that heart level trust in God, even as you grow and go through different circumstances in life. If you don't, you'll drift off the road. And the best way to keep our heart from drifting is the tithe. What? What did you just do there, Pastor Nate? This is a practical way to learn to trust. Our relationship to money has a direct tie to our heart. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered away from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Your heart wanders when it isn't trusting God. So God builds in this, this thing called the tithe. Let me talk one more thing about the heart, because the heart can become full of worry and anxiety and fear of the future. Jesus addresses that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. 
That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And obviously the answer is no. So Jesus understands the heart and its relationship to money. So this is what God did for us. He instituted the practice of giving the tithe. What is the tithe? The tithe just simply means 10%. First of all, every 10. It's just a matter of decimal points. It's not a certain amount. It's a certain percentage. And God inspires through Moses the law to his people to keep their hearts from going off the road. It's a rumble strip of trust. In Leviticus 27, one-tenth, everybody say one-tenth. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to who? The Lord, and must be set apart to him as holy. Count off every tenth animal from your herds and flocks and set them apart for the Lord is holy. You may not pick and choose between good and bad animals, and you may not substitute one for another. So the principle is everything comes from God and is owned by God, and you give him the first ten. Deuteronomy 8:18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability, the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Now, in other words, they're to keep this practice and we keep the hearts of the people of Israel in alignment with God's promises. In the Old Testament, God said a lot of, if you do this, I will do this for you. And there is just the promise. How are you going to stay in alignment with God's blessing? The tithe keeps your heart from drifting away from God. Now, some people might say, well, that's Old Testament. That's not New Testament. That's gone with Jesus, right? No, Jesus heightens it or tightens this understanding because he's talking about the heart staying connected to God. And he's talking to a group of people who were misusing the tithe. They focused on the tithe and they forgot about their heart. And in Matthew 23, 23, it says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. But look at what Jesus says next. He says, you should tithe. What? Yes. Yeah, you should tithe. But do not neglect the more important things. See, Jesus is not saying it's gone away with because your heart isn't any different. Old Testament and New Testament is still the human heart. We have the advantage of Jesus and his death and his resurrection uh, um, taking our place as a sacrifice for our sin. But the heart is still the heart. The heart has always been prone to wander. So Jesus says, yes, you should keep it, but make sure that your heart stays connected to God on his values. And it's always to be the first, the first 10%, first as a priority and first in sequence. In other words, 
Don't give him it after, give him it first. Not after you pay your bills, before you pay your bills. Why is that? Because then he stays in first place. Otherwise, you move him to the back of the line, but you want him to take away your anxiety. Are you hearing me? But you want him to, to deal with the stress, but you've already moved him to the back of the line. Leftovers. You do it first, and then this is what our founding pastor used to say, that if you give God the 10%, that 10%, the 90% left over will go further than 100% to yourself. He'll take care of you. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He'll take care of your bills. He'll take care of all the, he'll help you. He'll give you wisdom. Listen, that doesn't mean you just jack up your credit card debt or something. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> no, you still have responsibilities to be a good steward of his resources. But when you put that 10% first, he takes care of everything else. Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Other versions say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Early on in our marriage, Jody and I um, worked, both of us worked full time and then um, she became pregnant with our first child and uh, I remember after a service one Sunday night we had where there was response time at the altars and people were praying and she got up and she came up to me and she said, I think the Lord wants me to quit my job when the baby comes and stay home. Now, intellectually in my brain at that moment, I thought that means they're cutting our income in half. And I'm like, you know, my, my natural person would have said, no. But we had to pause because Jehovah Jireh is our provider. There's a title for God in the Bible, he's got a lot of different titles, but Jehovah, the Lord, Jireh, our provider. So when we learn that he's our provider, not the company we work for, not the government of the land that we get a check from, it doesn't come from any other place, but it comes from God. And when he's our provider, he can, he can call his resources from all the things underneath his control. And so we're in this moment, we're like, what are we gonna do? And we decided to be faithful and follow through on what God had called us to do. And somehow in the next year, God took care of us. I don't know how he did it, but he provided and we did better the next year. And God used a lot of different resources and things. We took care of our responsibilities. We, we were good stewards of the resources. We didn't spend frivolously or anything like that. But God helped us out and we learned that he was our provider, not our job. Like Jody likes to say, it's not Jody Jira, it's Jehovah Jira. <laughs> Sometimes we put our name in front of that or we put our business in front of that, but it needs to be Jehovah Jira. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. We learn to trust God because he's got this. Say that with me. He's got this. Whatever those challenges are, all those worries, putting kids through college, thinking about how to pay the bills. What about you, you lost a job? How are we going to deal with the transmission going on? All the things that pop up in life, Jehovah Jireh, he's got this. Three essential rumble strips for staying on mission. The first one was trust. The second is obedience. It's moving from feelings to obedience. If God says it, I'm just going to do it. Some of us have wrestling matches with God. 
It's my way. I want you to bless my way. But obedience says, I'm going to yield to your way and do things your way. And there's a great joy when we're faithful with little. God can trust us with more. And when we learn to trust him with the tithe and we're obedient, then we can even go beyond that in faith and be generous. I love that because that's exactly what's happened with so many people in our church, in their church story. Today, I want you to see the story and hear the story of Heather Weil, one of our people in Maple Grove, who has grown up in the church, but she's learning how to operate in the principle of obedience at this stage of her life. Turn your attention to the screen. My name is Heather, and I have attended Emmanuel my entire life. Um, I currently go to the Maple Grove location and have been serving on the worship team there. Uh, there's many ways I've seen the Lord move uh, through my finances as I've just learned how to give faithfully. I've always grown up with the principle that I can't afford not to give or not to tithe because when I hold on to what I have, it steals from the Lord's faithfulness and His way of proving that He takes care of you. It was funny because my sister and I were both growing through a season at the same time of um, new employment. And when she quit her previous job, she was like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. And I said, oh, who pays your bills? You or the Lord? And, and really that, that job or the Lord. And she was like, oh, the Lord, send. And then literally two months later, I was faced with the same challenge of the Lord saying, it's time, it's time to release this, it's time to quit. And I had no idea what I was gonna do. I didn't even have anything lined up. But my sister came back and said, well, who pays your bills, your job or the Lord? And I was like, oh, okay, the Lord send and and let me tell you in this past year the lord has blessed me in a way that i didn't know was possible um he gave me opportunities um to do things that i love more now than i ever loved in any other job and it has blessed me financially in a way that i truly could not have imagined and i know that if i didn't trust him in that moment to quit that job sure i might still have that job and my needs would be met but not only are your financial needs met, but your life, like the fulfillment in your life of what you love to do and your passion is met when you trust the Lord with, with everything. And that is your job. That, that is the home you live in. That is everything that you have. When you trust Him with those things and when you hold on to them loosely, He fulfills your dreams in ways you didn't know possible. And so when I have the opportunity to give above and beyond. Like it not only brings joy to the person that's receiving or to the Lord when we trust him with things, like there's joy that he receives in knowing that he has our full trust. But in return, when you are giving joy, you receive joy. And it is something that really just makes life so much more enjoyable. We've got to do what God says, not make up our own alternative. We're in an on-demand, create-your-own generation. I want a little bit of this. I want a little bit of that. I'll, uh, I'll do church on-demand. I'll go to this church for worship. I like this teacher for that. I like that. I don't want to be planted in a church. But once you're planted in a church, you don't have the luxury of picking and choosing you got to let the spirit minister through the body. 
And let me just say this. Don't be a drifter. Don't be, this is, there's, a, there's a theological word for it. It's called syncretism, where we're just picking different religions and their benefits for ourselves. But instead, let's look at the Bible says and do what the word says. And if we just do it, man, there's a blessing that comes with it. Can I get an amen to that? There is a blessing that comes with that. There's a story of Cain and Abel um, in the scripture in Genesis chapter four, two brothers. It says, when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. I don't have time to break down every part of this particular text, except to say you got two brothers. One's a shepherd, one's a farmer. And apparently God told them to worship him. We don't know all the instructions. We only know that God accepted Abel's, but not Cain's. And it wasn't about the type of offering necessarily. It was about the disobedience. Cain wanted to make up his own compromise of worship to God. He wanted to do it his way. And God said, no, 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 that's not what I said to you. If you're gonna be obedient, do what I tell you to do. If not, there's a danger around the corner. Compromise opens the door to sin. And he says, if you, if you keep going down this path, sin is gonna take you out. One of the cool things about being obedient to God, whether it means in following his word, or as we're talking about today with the tithe, when you tithe, it closes the door to sin. When you don't, you open the door to compromise and sin is nearby. When we modify what God wants, it is equal to disobedience. When we find ourselves compromising, we are in danger of leaving the road of God's provision. And when we compromise, we stop trusting in God's power and look to another source for our fulfillment. God alone is to be our source. And we'll take a little, little rabbit trail for a second because this week is Halloween. And there's a lot of fun things that happen in family harvest time and Instagram photos and all those kind of things and costumes and all of that. And there's a history that I encourage you to read up on. How, how did Halloween become what it is now? But interwoven into our culture with Halloween is we've made spiritism and witchcraft and all kinds of other things that the Bible says is not good for us as normalized. And we need to be careful of what we're teaching the next generation, what we're compromising on. It says, and I'll just read it to you from Deuteronomy chapter 18. When you arrive in the land the Lord God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughters as a burnt offering. I think most of us are okay with that one. Hopefully, all right. And do not let your people practice fortune telling or sorcery 
or allow them to interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is an object of horror and disgust to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. The people you are about to despise, uh, displace, consult with sorcerers and fortune tellers. But the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. Now that may be new information. I, you know, over time I've realized that not everyone grew up with the same understanding of the world and spiritism. But witchcraft is sin and it's pursuing a different source than God. That's why it's a sin. Listen, on the other side of witchcraft is not God. The answer to not coming from the throne. It's from the demonic world. And so if you're going to follow Jesus, let's not be training our kids to chant. Let's not train our kids to do things that the Bible says is detestable. We're to look to God and him alone as our source of strength. Can I get an amen to that? Let the Lord be the one that transforms you. No other source. Three essential rumble strips for staying on mission. One was trust, two was obedience, and the third and final, and I close with, the first love. If you find yourself in a place where you're driving down the road and in your heart you're angry toward others and you begin to go off the road in anger, or you no longer love the Lord your God the same way you once did, then listen to Jesus' words to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. He says, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. It's really simple. If you find your first love gone, then you got to get it back. If you've drifted off the road and you discover you're not loving your spouse or your kids or people anymore and anger is growing in your heart, then you need to go back. Everybody say, go back. And trust in him because he's got this. Jesus says, repent, turn around, and do the things you used to do. If you don't, you're going to lose it even all the rest of what you had. So if I trust God with the tithe, I trust him with my life in obedience, not compromising. When I hit my spots where I need to repent, I can repent. And I, I can have the love restored in my heart. I want you to stand with me, church, in each of our locations today. I know it's a bit of a strong word today, but listen, the epicenter of this, the, the core of it is God has given you a mission. You're meant to change the world. You're meant to raise up children, to love God. You're meant to have a positive impact on your workplace. When you go to school, God wants you to be light in the middle of darkness. And there are times in our missional journey where we go off the road and those rumble strips get us back on the road. We need to trust in the Lord with all our heart. We need to lean on him and not our own understanding. 
We need to obey and just do it, not just feel it on Sunday morning, but follow up with obedience and know that we can get our first love back if we talk to the Lord about it. Amen? This past weekend, uh, I was at the Emmanuel Men's Strong Retreat, and there was an amazing weekend of men from Emmanuel of every generation that gathered together to worship God, listen to the word, and we were challenged. We were challenged to live pure lives in an impure world. And that meant that many of the men that were there, all of us, have had, we've got some, we've got some stuff in the, in the trunk of our life. We've had, we've made some mistakes. We've uh, got some scars. And, and as we were gathered together and hearing the word, we also heard testimonies of guys that had pornography, robbed their marriage or robbed their business, destroyed their life, but they found Jesus, they submitted to Jesus, began to obey Jesus, got in a group with other men, and they discovered that now that, that past doesn't control their future. They were so free, they could share their freedom story with the people there. It was powerful. They overcome the, the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. It's so powerful. I love it. It also spoke to me that there is power when we don't hide stuff, but we bring it to the surface and we say, Lord, help me. So wherever you're at in your discipleship journey of following Jesus, I want to encourage you to take some courageous steps to be obedient to listen to the rumble strips, but you're not alone. You're just on a story. You're in a journey to where God is making you be the person that God has called you to be, to see that mission fulfilled. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to worship together and let that kind of go in and seep into our hearts. Just lift up your hands to heaven right now. Father, we come before you. Hallelujah. Lord, we just come before you. Nothing hidden. Lord, we ask that you would shine your light all over our heart and our minds. We thank you, Lord, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't need to live in the shame narrative. We don't need to live in what we've done wrong. But Lord, we do need to bring our hearts before you. We do need to return to our first love. We do need to learn to trust in you with everything. And Lord, to give you, Lord, our first and our best, and to trust that you'll handle what we cannot. Lord, I pray that you would help people under the sound of my voice follow you and receive your forgiveness and life today. I also pray that you'd help people who, Lord, need to take that next step of tithing, that you give them the courage, Lord, not to pass that off, but to be obedient, to step in to what you've called them to do. And for others, I pray, oh God, that you would help us, Lord, instead of worry invading our heart, that your Lordship would step in. And as your Lord, I pray that you would help us not rely on anything else in this day and age, I pray, God, this would be a church that looks to Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith, that we can rely on you. We don't need to go to any other source but then to the throne. Everything we need is in you. And so, Lord, we come before you with our hearts and our lives, and we trust you today in Jesus' name.
Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into community, or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.